G'day, I'm Megan Woodward and this is Crop to Top, the Cotton Info podcast. Conversations to help you grow. Pinch and a punch. It's May 1st and that means picking is underway in most, if not all, growing valleys by now. And such is the nature of the beast that even before the final bales hit the gin, Mines are now being cast towards the 2023-24 season and the winter months. I'm joined today by Paul Grundy from QDAF, who is also our Cotton Info Technical Lead for Integrated Pest Management. And Paul reckons that to ensure a decent 23-24, the time is now to start prepping for a winter cleanup after a particularly challenging season on the pest management front. Welcome, Paul, to the Cotton Info Crop to Top podcast. Thanks, Megan. Good to be with you. Now, Paul, I guess, as we've just said, it's not really a highlight reel here we're talking about. It's a a low light reel of challenges that have come to the fore in recent months for crop managers. What are some of the things we've seen pop up that we haven't seen for a few seasons that have made this rather challenging? Yeah, Megan, look, we've seen a few different things pop up this season that I think a lot of advisors and consultants probably haven't seen for the best part of a decade or more. Aphids. We've seen aphids fairly widely from the Darling Downs all the way through to Warren in sort of those regions. Most crops have had aphids and the thing that's made those aphids a little bit more topical than normal is there's been reasonable numbers in different locations that have also popped up with resistance to group one insecticides. So that's something we haven't seen for about 14 or 15 years. So not only have we seen aphids for the first time in a long time, but they have turned up with resistance as well, which has been a bit of a surprise for a few people. The thing that's also gone hand in hand with those aphids, and it's probably not that surprising when we stop to think about it, but we've seen a lot of cotton bungee top being detected in fields, again, throughout southern Queensland and northern New South Wales. So those two things tend to go a bit hand in hand. And on the back of a series of wet years, been plenty of aphids around and plenty of cotton bungee top, which does create some challenges for the coming season. That's a shocker combination if you're unlucky enough to find yourself dealing with both aphids and cotton bunchy top. Let's separate them first, Paul, with your IPM hat on. What are some things people can be doing now and in the winter months to get on top of aphids as much as possible? The big thing we need to be focused on from now, so picking through until when crop goes back in the ground next season, is what we call breaking the green bridge. So aphids are one of those pests that need a live host plant on which to survive during the winter months. The simplest thing that we can do as crop managers to prevent those aphids overwintering on our farm is to remove the hosts that they might use. So the most important of those hosts are volunteer or feral cotton plants. As the name would suggest, cotton aphids, they really do like to hang around on those feral plants. So if we can eliminate them within our field areas, within our crop rotation areas, sometimes we rotate out into sorghum or other grains where you might have volunteers come through and you know those volunteers become quite large feral plants within those fallow fields. If we can eliminate those, as well as also paying attention to drainage lines, roadways, fence lines, where again, seed gets spilt and volunteer feral cotton can establish. If we can control those, it'll go a long way to removing aphids within our local farm area. So we know aphids are winged, they can fly further distances, but the aphids that have been most exposed to insecticides and are likely to be carrying those insecticide resistance genes are gonna be the ones 
that are hosting on your farm. The other area, of course, is our weeds, particularly weeds of the Malvaceae family. So things like mallow weed that you commonly see during winter, some of the brassica weeds as well. If we can control them again in our fallow fields or subsequent cereal crops, that's going to go a long way to taking away that host material. No host basically means no aphids residing locally in our farm spaces. So it's a really practical thing that we can do to stop aphids and also stop those resistance genes that they might be carrying. The resistance factor is a big concern and seems to be something people are discussing a lot this season. Have you seen an uptake in that too, or at least anecdotally receiving more calls about that, Paul? We've had a lot of calls about aphids in general. What caught our attention and obviously crop managers' attention was people were using a product called Pyramore, which is actually a really good integrated pest management product. It's very selective, gives excellent, as a rule, aphid control, and it leaves behind the natural enemies largely unaffected. That particular product, Pyramore, though, is in the same group of insecticides as Demethoate. And what we saw was failures with Pyramore. So that was a bit of a flag that something wasn't quite right. And it turned out that aphids in these fields had resistance to group one insecticides, which includes Demethoate, which most people would be familiar with. And that product is commonly used early in the season for mirrored control or thrip control. And what we saw in a number of farms, Demethoate had been used early season. Then as the crop had moved into flowering, we had aphids there. People put out a pyramore and had a fail with that product. As the seasons progressed and we became aware of the problem, we've had resistance detected on the Darling Downs, around the Gwaida, border rivers, and also into the Namoi. So it's um, not just been an isolated thing. There's not huge levels of resistance out there, but there's been isolated pockets across a reasonable geographic area. So there's certainly resistance alleles out there across quite a number of valleys. And how does that connect to or influence the rate of cotton bunchy top we're seeing at the moment? The two things are sort of related, but sort of not. So aphids are the vector for cotton bunchy top. Cotton bunchy top is a viral disease and it can only spread from plant to plant by aphids. So an aphid will feed on an infected plant the aphid acquires those virus particles and retains them in its system. And when that aphid, if it was a winged individual and it flew to another plant and fed on that plant, it would then transfer the virus. So that virus can only be shifted from place to place when there's aphids present. We know that cotton bunchy top is present within the landscape of our farming systems, but generally when aphids aren't abundant, those isolated plants that are within the environment, and this might be in several weed hosts or in feral cotton, that virus can't move anywhere. However, when we've got those residual pockets of virus in the landscape, and then we have an abundance of aphids, all of a sudden we start seeing those viruses trafficked in and out of crops. And what we've seen this season is basically those residual pockets of virus that are out in the broader landscape, aphids have brought them into our cotton crops. And people obviously tend to notice those symptoms when they present in crop. And with the abundance of aphids throughout the season, there's been quite a lot of cotton bunchy top reported. That material has been tested and confirmed to be positive for bunchy top. So you can't have cotton bunchy top disease without aphids. And the presence of aphids increases the risk of cotton bunchy top disease. So the two things very much go hand in hand. I guess to double down on the message that you mentioned earlier in regards to the importance of breaking the green bridge, it's a very common term. Can we break it down though? What does that actually look like in basic operational terms? Breaking the green bridge is really about breaking the life cycle of pests and disease. Diseases such as cotton bunchy top 
can't exist in the environment without a host plant. Similarly, aphids can't exist within the broader landscape environment without some sort of host plant to feed on. And what we're doing by breaking the green bridge is we acknowledge, if you like, that feral cotton plants in particular, whether they be returns or um, volunteers within our field areas, or they might be feral plants that are growing on our drainage lines or around edges of fields, they are a very likely place where cotton bunchy top can reside between seasons. And often aphids will reside back on those plants during the winter months. They'll sit there, shut down, just buy their time. And then when spring comes along, those plants actively start to regrow. The aphids that might be holding out on those plants become active. They then move back into our crop areas. And the key thing is when we talk about breaking the green bridge, we're talking about controlling weeds and host plants that are in our immediate farming environment. It's those plants that are close to where our crops are re-sown that are likely to be a source of both aphids and virus if they're present. Simplest thing we can do is just remove those plants, which pretty much removes aphids and virus out of the equation in the first place. And obviously that is a brilliant thing to do if you're not only dealing with aphids or cotton bunchy top, but trying to get rid of mealybugs as well, which has been a huge issue this season as well. Is that right? Mealybugs have certainly turned up in quite a few new places this season. They've had quite a few calls from different crop agronomists that have found mealybugs on their clients' fields for the first time. The reasons for that is we've had a lot of flooding over the last couple of years. Overland flow of water is one way that mealybugs can move from one area to another. But the same premise applies. Once they're in that area, mealybugs can only persist in those areas if they've got a host plant. So what we found over time is generally when you have an outbreak of mealybugs, you can nearly walk into those outbreak areas and identify a volunteer or return cotton plant or a patch of weeds or some sort of host material that the mealybugs were able to reside on, particularly during the winter months. You go in, plant a cotton crop, and you've got a population of pests there that have a head start and can move into that cotton crop and cause that sort of damage. Same as when we've had an infestation, the easiest way to control mealybugs and prevent them from coming back the following season is just have 100% crop destruction. Remove the host. Mealybugs can't live on fresh air forever. They can survive in the soil for about a month or so without a host, but our winters, that non-crop period is about a good five months. You remove the host, you effectively remove the mealybugs. Mealybugs are not a mobile insect. If we can break that green bridge, Quite simply, you just won't have a problem with mealybugs in the following season. And the simplest, best IPM solution to mealybugs as a pest problem is if we can remove that pest from the equation from the outset. And we do that by breaking that green bridge. So for anyone listening who's sitting on the picker at the moment, the ultimate take-home message and final message from you, Paul Grundy? Final message for people as they complete their harvesting operations is make sure your crop destruction is 100% effective. When you're setting up tillage equipment to plough crops out, it's really, really important that all of the plants are destroyed properly and completely. A big part of that, of course, is the initial destruction of those crop residues. But the other important part is the job doesn't finish at crop destruction. We've then got a fallow period for a number of months. Sometimes we might have a fallow period that goes for 18 months if we're rotating into a cereal or other crop before we might come back to cotton. So breaking that green bridge is not just that immediate crop destruction, but it's staying on the job to make sure that we don't have follow-up volunteer plants germinate and grow that might create that green bridge. Or similarly, sometimes we get some plants that aren't destroyed effectively and then become returns. Again, we need to go back over these areas and make sure that we haven't missed anything. So as I said, getting 100% effective crop destruction, 
often involves a lot of follow-up to make sure that we're getting those plants that we've missed to really effectively create a clean break from one crop to the next. That's great advice, Paul. Thank you so much for your time today. And obviously there are mountains of resources that you and our Cotton Info colleagues have put together over the past couple of years. So we'll make sure to put those in our show notes to head back to the website for anyone that needs any more information. And make sure too, you've been kind enough, Paul, to put together a lot of these points in an e-newsletter, which will be coming out today on the 1st of May as well. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Megan. No worries.